Hey, this is Brian Gray from The Blamed, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Man, being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. good it's, it's it's a good radio voice i dig it um well I'm, I'm glad we glad we weared you down enough where you would finally come and do an episode uh i know travis tried for a long time and oh he, i loved messing with him on it he's awesome t- I, <laughs> yeah trevor from, trevor philly, from philly is he thinks he's relentless but he's not <laughs> uh good times man well i'm stoked to talk to you let's let's just dive right in way back in the way back machine um what what got you started in music what kicked off your love for music i was kind of a almost like a late bloomer like as a kid you you hear everybody tell their story like uh you know oh man i i picked up the guitar when i was young and i just couldn't put it down i was the opposite i picked up a guitar and it hurt my fingers and i couldn't figure it out uh, my parents are deadheads and so my dad had like hippie jams going on all the time and he had acoustic guitars and instruments around and he would try to get me to play and I couldn't and I guess I want to clarify because I'll probably end up talking about my dad here and there him and I are the best friends he's the awesomest dude in the world but I'm going to end up on accident making him sound like a jerk, but he just didn't get it. So when I was like <laughs> crying as a kid, like my fingers hurt, he was just like, what the heck's wrong with you? And I was like, I can't play this. And so he would just didn't know how to deal with it. So I was really, I, that's about like, I don't know, pre junior high school, maybe was my first guitar experience and I couldn't do it. And then, uh, okay. he got me a juice harp. And so I would play that wow 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 thing in your mouth you know down to get down and so i can play a juice harp so it was Mm -hmm. that was my intro and when he would do his hippie jams you know he just wanted his kid to be involved so he'd be like come on man bring your juice harp and you know we're gonna play some grateful dead and crosby deals and nash and i was just like you're dumb and uh but then i guess in high school it was almost like it clicked overnight i just picked up a guitar it made sense I learned how to play some, just started learning how to play like Sex Pistol songs, uh, learning how to play the songs my dad taught me. Uh, my first instrument is actually bass. Um, but, okay. like, so my version of the story is like, my first instrument is bass, 
but I can't stand most guitar players, so I ended up becoming a guitar player. You, you couldn't stand playing with other guitar players? Well, I came up, I came around from like the 80s. I'm a little bit probably, I don't know if you're as old as I am. I think you're a bit younger. Um, Trevor and I are, are the same age. Yeah. And then uh, Trevor from Philly. And uh, <laughs> so like I would go to play songs, and I was into punk rock. I would go to play songs with people, and they would... Uh, you, they'd go, what did you write, man? You show them some three chord thing, like da 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 da, da and they would go, "Weedly one." You were like, "Wait, what did you? That that's not the chords." And and so, like all the glam musicians I grew up around, only knew how to like solo, and they were like, "I mean, that's kind of like the Ramones, but this is what Aerosmith would do." And I was like, Blech, "I don't want to do that Aerosmith garbage." <laughs> so eventually, I just switched to guitar. Gotcha, gotcha. It's funny that you went from my fingers hurt playing guitar to I'm a bass player. I know. Well, it was the 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 fingers didn't hurt by the time I was fifteen. Maybe uh, sure. Like when you're a teenager, puberty hits, you get a mustache. I got stronger fingers. That's cool. What got you into punk rock? Um, I think it just resonated with me when I first heard the Sex Pistols in high school. Um. And then I was being shown by my church friends, um, like the Altar Boys and Nobody Special and Undercover and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I was like, I, Ed, I became a Christian in junior high, and then uh, okay, and I so my youth group was constantly pushing like Christian music on me. So like, I went to Petra concerts. I went to you name it. And I would go see these horrible bands. I mean, I remember them taking me to see some band called Bash in the Code. And I was like, these guys, I guess, are good players. But it just feels like I'm at youth group or something like that. And so, I and I, but I wasn't uh, as critical then. So, I didn't really care. I just was there to hang out with my friends. Um, But, yeah. So, then I just, once I heard, like, the bands I liked, I was into it. I remember a big change for me, too, was I was a horrible student in school so and i had these like kind of hippie parents that their standards were weird so then like uh i would get in trouble at school and they would send me home or something like that and then i wouldn't maybe get in trouble for it if i got like suspended from school uh with my parents it just depended on the day to be honest my parents some days i got busted and some days they didn't give a crap uh so my school realized, uh, man, this isn't working suspending him. So they would make me do what's called the in-house suspension. And I'd have to go do like yard work at the school. Well, when I would do yard work, it was with all the other punk rockers from school. So I was like the kid, I was like the kid with a mullet and I'm hanging out with these dudes in like leather jackets and mohawks. And they were like minor threat, man. And I was like, yes, dude, this is so good. So that was a big, I think entry into it for me as well was, being with those guys and they were uh they were just rough and funny and rough and you know how'd you get in house suspension uh beat up a jock you know you're like whoa that's pretty crazy my cousin's a jock hopefully you didn't fight him you know so <laughs> it's like that kind of thing when did you start playing in bands that, that's what um I played there. It's funny. There was a picture that was floating around Google. If you Googled high school band or something like that, 
yeah. for the longest time my picture was in the top four and it was a picture of me and my friends from high school playing and we're all playing different notes on our instruments and like i was wearing like a baseball cap backwards you can see i have a rat tail it was so awesome and then uh we uh so i i started with some good friends of mine and they were in a band called subliminal youth and then i was starting my own like christian band and it was called uh it's the worst band name ever as always it was called rocks and pink cement and uh we played at my high school on the quad and uh and then our second show we ever played was as rocks and pink cement was uh we opened for the Morales Forest that was actually the Martin Brothers. Uh Jason oh, wow. and Ronnie out in uh out we I'm from Northern California by the way, so this was up in the Bay Area. Gotcha. So that was kinda you were in that uh scene pretty early on, all those bands that eventually went on to Tooth and Nail, you were um, surrounded by that scene. Yeah. So what helped was, I don't know if you know my backstory. That's why I sent you that goofy list of what bands I've been. I started my rocks and pink cement yeah. band. We eventually got to play like shows with like the crucified with tourniquet with whoever. And then, uh, I hooked up with the guys in mortal and I started playing with mortal. Basically I was their bass player for a season. Um, I played on their intense records live EP they did like a, a yeah. live series. I played bass on it. It's funny. My name's not in the credits because they goofed it up. Uh, but, you know, because I wanted to be the punk guy. So, like, uh, my silly version of the story is they were like, you got to put your name in the credits, what gear you play. And they were, Intense wanted to make it like a cool live thing. Like, so they were like, you need to state your name, Brian Gray. And, you know, you play uh bass what bass did you play what whatever and i was being kind of a uh, smart aleck and i was because uh, i'm fairly sarcastic by the way uh, so yes. then like they said you got to put your name in my legal name is spelt b-r-y-a-n and g-r-a-y but i thought hey man i'm gonna create a stage name and it's gonna be b-r-i-a-n-g-r-e-y because my whole life, everybody would misspell my name. And then when they were like, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, I don't want people to know my real name. And uh, and so like, it was like, no, you got to take this serious. So I was like, fine. I think we submitted it. And then after all that goofing off, the label forgot to put it in the credits. Uh, so, But that was my first Christian album national release was the Mortal Live Intent series. Uh, and then... The point of that story is Brandon Ebel at the time worked for Frontline and Intense Records. So uh, we would go play as Mortal and Brandon would be there as the Frontline, uh, one of the people representing the label. I don't know that he was exactly our A&R guy, but he would like take photos of, you know, Brandon's an amazing photographer. So he would like be taking promo pictures and stuff like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. What was, what was it like when you were playing with Mortal? What that was like? I mean, you're pre tooth and nail. What was the scene like? So different. Um, I mean, it was like, yeah, <laughs> it was super Christian. Uh, and I'm saying that wrong way, but yeah. mean, maybe like very rooted in like evangelical culture. You know, fundamentalism. Like, I had told this. You know, I don't know if you know, I did a small 
bit of dialogue in one of the labeled podcasts and uh, Matt Carter and I were talking about how my sister came to a show and uh, somewhere, I think it was all out of state, maybe or cornerstone or I don't remember where. And, and I think it was my sister, but basically like she couldn't go to the hotel room with me after the show because of the whole, like, <laughs> man, you cannot have the appearance of evil. You have to, uh, and it wasn't like the mortal guys were being jerks. It was just, uh, they're being smart. You know, things I didn't think about as a young, you know, I was 19 and 20 when I started playing in mortal. So, uh, yeah. as a young 19, 20 year old, I was really, uh, just didn't get it. You know, they're like, Oh, the church could see you as like, that guy took a girl to his hotel room. And then, you know, you're like, no, but it's my sister. Gross. But, uh, <laughs> um, so that was in a weird way. That's almost how this, that was, but fans were into it. So people that loved mortal mortal was a really good sized band. And then it, it, Fathom debut happened. Uh, I basically joined when Fathom was released. I didn't play on the record. My first two shows with the band were when they were finishing it up. Um, I think they invited me to the studio once or twice, but uh, I didn't go. Uh, but nothing weird. I just, it didn't make sense. I was trying to learn their songs and be able to play the shows. I was like, I don't want to get distracted with hanging out at the studio. Um, and yeah. uh, when I joined Mortal, my first two shows were the last two shows that Rob Walker played with Mortal. So Rob Walker from Wish for Eden was in Mortal before Wish for Eden. No. And so uh, he, I would stay at his house when I would go down. Uh, we knew him as Strobe, and uh, me and Strobe go way back. And He's such an awesome dude. The funniest person you'll ever hang out with. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the scene was just people were starving for music, and the Crucified had just broke up. So... There was almost this vibe of like it sounds so mature to say in my forties, but like, like who's gonna be the next crucified? And of course, I was a huge yeah. crucified fan, and at that point, that was like my favorite band. And my second, Mortal had rotating drummers when I first joined with with Strobe. So like my first show with Mortal, we opened for Mad at the World, and Johnny Vasquez from Vengeance Rising, and who had later played with Mortification drum that night and then i went home they said yeah you got the gig or whatever i don't remember how it went it wasn't really like you got the gig it was like hey the next show is new year's you want to play sure and that night was rob's last show and jim chaffin was the drummer that night so i was like well i get to play with jim from the crucified i think at this point the crucified had officially broke up and was done so in my mind when i would hear bands discuss who's going to be the next crucified it was uh a silly conversation because at that point it was just like uh, there's a gap and mortal was able to really jump in because it was fairly aggressive. So, um, yeah. So, you know, we were getting some of these cool show offers when we would go to cornerstone, you know, we were, and that whole like metal culture thing was really the whole, uh, thank God for Nirvana destroying metal. It took a minute with the Christian industry. <laughs> so at that point, that was still overshadowing everything is that your heavy music then was deliverance and tourniquet. And, and I love all those bands by the way, so I'm not hacking on them. Uh, but so yes, yeah, so when you, when also we came into that culture, it was interesting because 
people were starving, just like Nirvana. They were ready for the crucified in that same instance in the Christian culture. I mean, I don't know if you know back then. I mean, it was literally Intense Records was all this, like, even the thrash stuff was pretty glammy, maybe, except for Vengeance Rising or something. So, uh, Mortal didn't have that. Yeah, until, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess, uh, yeah, Believer... They're a little later, were they? I think really what hurt Believer was just demographically they were on the East Coast. Because even, yeah. even at that point, Living Sacrifice had released their self-titled record, and they were from Little Rock. And they were, yeah. and I want to say this too with the whole Rex culture, both Believer and Living Sacrifice had a bit more mainstream success. Like, I only heard of them playing like, Interesting. like massive, like, I think at that point, Living Sacrifice was doing some shows, maybe even with uh, I can't remember that big mainstream metal act they had gone out with, but they were doing like Milwaukee Metal Fest and you know and Believer. They were they had toured with Bolt Thrower the year before, and I didn't go because I'm stupid. Uh, that night I had a choice between <laughs> well they played Northern Cal and I had a choice between going to Believer or Tourniquet. They both played the same night in different Northern California cities that were nowhere near each other. And all my friends were going to Tourniquet, so I went to Tourniquet. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it was that moment in Indiana uh. Jones where I chose what well, I chose poorly. In <laughs> uh, that's funny. What led you to uh, starting the Blamed? Uh, I had done the Blamed previous to Mortal as like a side project to Rocks and Pink Cement. Uh, my Rocks and Pink Cement okay. band was like a funk punk band. Eventually, like. Unfortunately, I played slap bass in it. Uh, it even had like some uh, like the hip hop vocal thing going on. I mean, at the time, the the culture was very immersed in the, everything from Jane's Addiction to Faith No More, and we were all huge into those bands. So uh, we were talking to some Christian labels about doing stuff. Because at that point, the only thing close to that in the Christian scene was Scattered Few. And so uh, at the time, Rommel Allen was, uh, I think our first demo, he helped mix it uh, and produce it behind the scenes. So uh, he was kind of, I think, trying to offer his services to, he was kind of helping us talk to Blonde Vinyl Records, and maybe he would, in return, produce the record and whatever. But uh, I want to say the Christian industry wasn't ready for that kind of music because of the whole, like, it's always a few, especially back then it was really behind. So they didn't, yeah. they didn't understand that there was a need for a Jane's addiction and a faith no more. We were way more aggressive. So it was like, it had double bass drums, chuggy guitars, but then it had slap bass and rap. And, you know, it was just, it was almost like a more extreme version of faith no more but i don't like saying that because they're really good and we weren't but <laughs> uh, so i don't know if that answered the question correctly so you, but no 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 so so the blamed was your like oh yes my side project to that because at one point i was like i just want to play yeah. punk rock with my friends and then me and my friends started the blamed and me and my friend jake I have a friend named, uh, we always called him Punk Rock Jake, but his name is Jacob Landrow. He uh, co-wrote and co-sang and co-did the 21 record with me. Uh, we basically were the main songwriters for that. Uh, and he played on that album with me. He was in the Blamed. We used to play at Gilman Street even. We we had a little bit of clout in the 
the Gilman cult. I mean, little. It's it's funny because you see, <laughs> uh, well, our our bass player. He's the bass player of a uh, a rad doom band called Zed these days. Uh, it's the Zed with one D, and he. Uh, okay. Uh, they're great. Their new album sounds so good. Um, and then he worked. I want to say it was at like Sears in their paint department, and. Uh, Gilman Street, you would be able to tag your name on the wall. Well, so he went one time with a gallon of some paint someone threw away and wrote our name in like one of those, I'm going to say six inch, four inch rollers and just rolled our name on the wall. And I was like, I remember hearing about it. I was like, dude, that sounds like a bad idea. And um, and it ended up being great because the club didn't care. I was just worried that the club was going to be pissed. You know, I was like, I already probably, once they find out we're yeah. Christians, they're going to hate us. And then once they find out that we just painted their wall white with our name, they're going to want to kill us There'd be a lynch mob of skinheads after us. Um, and, but the bands loved it cause it was, they had now a place to put most bands just wrote their name in Sharpie or something like that. So it created a canvas for everybody to write their name in. But if you look, there's fun pictures online of like, Green Day, and behind him it says the blamed and huge writing because they went it on the wall. I think there's a Jawbox, famous Jawbox picture that has it too. It's kind of hard to find, but every now and then I'll share them online if I see it because it makes me laugh. Uh, but we were immersed in that That's culture, funny. so I was already doing the blamed. Okay, then this is a, a part of that story is uh, when Brandon was was officially going to do Tooth and Nail. I had pitched to him that I'd like to do a, a blamed record. And Brandon signed me, I want to say, based, uh, and we were friends, and he was into everything. But I think he was really hoping I was going to take this album on the road and sell it live, like distro style, with Mortal. And I had asked those guys, and they were cool with it. But then I didn't end up staying in Mortal. They had totally changed direction, and they wanted me to be involved but play guitar and I wasn't confident as a guitar player. So I was like, I can't play that stuff. I that doesn't even make sense. And, um, so I stopped playing immortal to play guitar in the blame, but that was like three chord punk rock. I had already done the record on tooth and nail, uh, 21. And when I even talked to Brandon, uh, he, I think originally actually wanted rocks and pink cement. He was like, well, what do you think about doing your rocks and pink cement band? And I was like, no, this is way better. Cause I was at that point. I did not want to do anything with slap bass. And so, yeah. Uh, and I think the, uh, part of the demise of rocks and pink cement too, was we had a show where, uh, we just were kind of falling apart. I think we went to some shows and like someone couldn't make it to the show. So we we're having to play without band members. And it was just like, Ooh, this is rough. But uh, and so I had kind of been like, I'm ready to be done. And then I got the phone call from Mortal to go to, or back then it was a phone call, and I was like, okay, this is pretty easy because my other band is a mess, and that was kind of which how that went. <laughs> Could you tell immediately that there was a change with Tooth and Nail, that the scene was going to be different, that Christian music was going to be different? Uh, because I was behind the scenes, like I knew Wish for Eden was going to be huge. 
Like when you yeah. saw that band, which I got to see with Frieden all the time because I would go down and stay with Strobe and then he would let me go to their band practice or they would play a show and maybe I would come help set up and go hang out with them. Or if I knew I was going down and they had a show a day or two before, I would go down early. So uh, me and Rob would hang out. So I really wanted to see Wish for Eden. And then when he told me he was signing to this new label, I was stoked. And then, uh, again, we I had seen Wish for Eden. They were massive. They were such a good band. You just knew they were going to blow up and really change the way the scene went focused uh those guys were all at the shows hanging out so you were when i was playing mortal i'm hanging out with all these hardcore guys with you know they were in this band called focused and Je- uh jeff Ballou and i were in mortal together at the end of my tenure with mortal and i don't know um if you knew that but he at post crucified had played for a season with mortal so me and jeff would hang out you know, i was a huge crucified fan jeff is one of the funnier people in the world so we would have some very entertaining times together and um and he would always be talking about and him and dirk had like a a history in their uh i think he maybe babysat dirk as a kid i don't remember exactly how that story went but uh, <laughs> so they were really close and then when him and dirk when Dirk started focused, he was really Jeff was really behind the whole thing. You know, he really promoted and pushed that band and would wear their t-shirts live. And so those guys would hang out. And back then you just, I only knew about it. Uh, mostly by like word of mouth. I don't even think I had seen focused, uh, but just the way that it was described to me. Cause I had through my tenure with rocks and pink cement and the blame, you know, I had grown to love gorilla biscuits. I was into, sick of it all an agnostic front so i was like yeah dude this is gonna be like hardcore i get it it was a different style of hardcore but i still got it and the focused vibe was really cool it was like tim had such passion when he sang of course we were all a bunch of jerks and would make fun of him mm-hmm. but there was uh it was literally that way when you would go see a focus show you know tim's passion carried the weight for everything so it was it was a really good vibe live uh so that's how you knew it was going to change mortal while i was in it was already talking to brandon about uh recording and producing mortal being uh gyro jerome and their cousin mark uh, rodriguez who was mortal's live engineer tech he eventually engineered the frail record they were starting a production team and i don't remember what they were going to call it but they produced uh, silver by Starflyer, and they had met with Brandon, met with Jason Martin. I knew the Martin brothers from. Uh, I had opened for them with Rocks and Pink Cement, and then with when they were doing Rails Forest. So when I ran into them at this point, Jason's doing Starflyer. Ronnie was doing at the time Rainbow Rider, um, and it was coming out on a Mike Not sub label because Bomb Vinyl was kind of done, and. Um, they went out on the mortal tour with us and I would come out for two songs and play shoegazer guitar with Ronnie. Um, and then he gave me a stage name with them. I was actually called hot rocks. I'm in their DVD, their, their DVD. They did like a documentary on joy electric and in it, it's like I pop up and underneath it says hot rocks. And I was like, that's so cool. You knew though that the Martin brothers, the Starfire thing was going to be amazing. I mean, at that point, you know, my bloody valentine i mean you know the scene was just waiting for something with a wall of guitar and 
50s breathy vocals. And so you knew that was going to take over. Wish for Eden, the Nirvana thing had happened. It had destroyed glam rock. So Wish for Eden coming out with their record. I mean, their live show, it was like something that, you know, it was very helmet. You went and saw it live and you were just like, I don't even think I thought grunge. I just thought, man, this is helmet. It's huge sounding focused. It was like unity in the community. We're a hardcore band, you know? And so that was the same thing. You were just like, so when you, the concept of, and then same thing, sometimes Sunday, that was the grunge record, you know? So when I was hearing about all these albums that Brandon was going to put out, it was like, this is going and frontline was still standing and nothing against those guys. I have to keep disclaimering cause I, those people were all really nice to me, but they were still stuck in the, the wrong decade and they were, you know, pushing the new deliverance record. It was maybe going to be grungier, but it was still had Queens all over it or something like that. And those records are great, but the, the industry and the scene, the culture was just, it wanted the Nirvana's, the helmets, the, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a switch was flipped almost overnight when Tooth and Nail came on. It, and it, yeah. It just. Overnight. It was the right word. Yeah. That's crazy. So, how you. Uh, yeah, you said you were playing with Starflyer, and um, I, I don't think I realized that you had done a Crash Dog record. Yeah. Until you sent me your discography. I, I helped produce it. Okay, that's just producing. Yeah, I, well, I I play guitar, wrote a song on it or something. I don't know, but for the most part, I was just helping produce the record. I did get a Dove Award nomination. Yeah. I have no idea what that means, but they sent me a letter once telling me that, and I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> I, I think those were easy to get back in the day. But uh, uh, let me think of the right way to answer this. So, Crash Dog, I'll tell it in the version of one of my dumb stories. I was immortal. And I was the new guy. And so we went to Cornerstone for the first time. And I was like, I'd heard about it my whole young, you know, Steve Taylor playing. I was a huge Steve Taylor fan. I think for the CCM music, he was the thing that was a game changer for me as far as like lyrical content, whatever. So anyways, I followed and read about Cornerstone through that kind of thing. And we finally went. So, and I'm at this point, it's me, Jeff, Jairo, and Jerome are the lineup for Mortal and Mark is doing sound. So I think we were traveling with five of us. And I got there and it was just like a mud fest. This is 93. Uh, it was at the okay. Bushnell site at this point. And like, uh, and I remember it was like as if I can't paint the correct mental picture, but like I remember getting out of the van. Jeff Ballou from The Crucified is there. So everybody's super excited to see him. Well, me and Jeff had hung out or whatever, so we didn't care. Uh, it was, yeah, I'd kind of gotten over the probably the rock star thing because, uh, you know, Jeff was like him and I were like bandmates. It was pretty fun for that just for that year, that season of life. Um, we get out of the van and it's like your shoe sunk into mud and people were like screaming like oh. Jeff Blue and they just wanted to hug him. And Jeff was it was almost like he was trying to <laughs> run for his life in mud. So he'd like like glunk step and then glunk step and somebody would be chasing him with the same slow lurky glunk <laughs> stepping and I would just look at him and laugh and then I was the nobody basically is the I guess the picture I'm trying to paint with that story but I would get there and it was like we all take turns doing merch and so at that point gyro the prayer chain was big and gyro had sang on the prayer chain record so we all knew like okay who's gonna do merch when the prayer chain's playing and it was you know I was the new guy so I 
I wasn't in the crucified. I was probably going to be doing some merch. And so we were kind of tossing around the bands we wanted to see. Jeff was like, uh, I want to go see this band Six Feet Deep. They've talked to me about maybe, I don't know if they had talked about producing that record or not yet. But he was like, uh, I want to go see Six Feet Deep play. I was like, okay, so Brian will do merch for this, this, and this. And they were like, what bands do you want to see? And I was like, Crash Dog. And they were like, <laughs> okay whatever and i was like in mortification and they were like yeah you can go see those bands and so that first year at cornerstone for me i missed the prayer chain and uh six feet deep but i got to see crash dog oh, man. and uh and mortification at that point johnny vasquez who had played with us was filling in for mortification so that was really fun to see johnny and uh and we had developed a friendship and so i went and saw crash dog and i'd heard about him my whole life so uh, I got to tell that backstory. Like, Res Band would play, and they would come to California back then, and Res toured with like an arena setup, full lights, sound, pyrotechnics, and you only had like there was no internet, so you had like a magazine article that would say Res Band playing San Francisco at the Assembly of God or God knows what church, and then it was a uh, excuse me one sec. Uh, so Res was playing. And uh, it had like an asterisk. Remember those old ads in magazines that said opening band yeah. would be Crash Dog on these dates. Double asterisk is cause and effect or something. And so I'd pay attention. Oh, Crash Dog's yeah. going to be with them in Sacramento or something. And I went to the show with my friends because they were all going. And they came out. And the opening band, I was stoked to see Crash Dog. And it was these rapper dudes in polka dot outfits. And it was cause and effect like uh eventually i met the guys and they had told me the backstory that uh, they had to go back to work so they couldn't make some of those dates um so they um so i was excited to see crash dog is my so I, I went to cornerstone the mortal guys didn't give a crap about crash dog so i got to go see that and i went and it was so good they get on stage they're starting to play their show they kick into the first song and they completely mess it up and have to stop playing and start over. And I was like, this is so punk rock. I love it. And, uh, and they were kind of the redheaded stepchild of the industry, you know, cause they were around pre tooth and nail and they were mm -hmm. around post tooth and nail. So I'm immortal at this point, which was at that to most people, I guess was a big deal. So I go to cornerstone. Uh, I had met my grandmother the week before, on like a day off in Wisconsin and she as grandma's do gave me 50 bucks for uh you know I love you you know kind of thing and I was all stoked dude I got 50 bucks for Cornerstone so I went and bought a crash dog beanie I think and um later on I was walking around it was like one of my I got to just go hang out and do my thing and I went over to the skate ramp I think and I and Andrew from crash dog who was guitar at the time was working and I went up to him and I was like Hey man, I'm my name's Brian Gray. I I play with this band called Mortal. I love Crash Dog. Your guys' show was so good, and he thought I was trolling him. He was like, "What?" And I was like, "No, yeah, man, you guys are awesome." I I probably just sounded like a moron because I'm like, my grandma gave me money and I bought your beanie, and I was really excited to see your band play or something. <laughs> and he's like, "Are you making fun of me?" And I was like, "No, I really like your band. I thought it was great that you guys played the um." you know my favorite song or something and he just was so confused and we later on became really good friends and still are i stay in touch with him uh, probably about twice a year but he literally thought that i was messing with him so then 
fast forward, Blame Does 21, they loved that record. So he said, what would it take for you to come out here and produce a record? And I was like, I've never produced a record, but I'll come out and do whatever you want. And they basically, he's like, how much money? I'm like, oh, I don't need money. Just, uh, he's like, well, we'll pay for your airfare and food. And I was like, okay. So they flew me out to Chicago for probably like a week or so. And I just went straight into rehearsals with them. And uh, mostly what I I went after was I sat down and talked through a lot of drum changes with Greg the drummer. Vocally, I liked everything Andrew did, which I think he was hoping for more vocal input. He didn't realize I wasn't really a vocal guy. and uh, But I had some input for backups and whatever and some guitar stuff. And that was kind of the long story short of me producing Cassius Fascist and Other Fungus. What has it been like over the years to uh, to keep the blame together and to have so many different member switches? Um, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as intentional as it seems. So we did the 21 record. It was basically me, Jake, and Jim. And then at this point, uh, Eric Churchill had joined on bass, but we had already done the record, so he played live with us. And we were young and dumb, and... Eventually, uh, Eric's departure from the band was like something I chalk up in my life of like regrets. I, I, I just, I we let Eric go for almost basically no good reason, and kind of took a while to replace him. That happened at the same point. Uh, oh, by the way, during twenty one, I lived at the Newman House, which you've heard about on okay. various podcasts. So I was at Newman. Yes. Eric lived at Newman. Uh, Jeremy lived at Newman. Mark, he was like we all had like little rooms. Mark's little room he shared with Jeremy. My little room I shared with uh, with Eric at the time. It was Dave, the original Unashamed singer before Jeff. And uh, I think Jeff eventually lived there, but it was not when I was there. Um, so uh, Jeremy, uh, he came, Jim and Jeremy had a massive history. Jeremy had just gotten finished playing drums for Deliverance. Uh, I want to say he played maybe on their Learn record. And then he wanted to do something more aggressive. He liked the new direction of the Blame stuff. We were starting to demo for our second record. Um, there was also a lot of pressure on us that we did 21 and put it out. And within the scene, a lot of people were actually pretty disappointed with that record. They were like you came from mortal and the crucified and this is what you guys did, you know? So we had a little bit of that backlash, you know, they didn't really get, and it was almost like the punk rock friends that we knew were like, they thought the record was too hardcore. And then the <laughs> hardcore people we knew thought the record was too punk rock or something. So I, that was always our problem. But so Jim got Jeremy in the band, basically Jeremy saying frail wrote it. Jeremy is such a good singer. Jeremy just basically eventually uh, I don't even mind saying it, just dropped off the face of the earth. He left our band and said he was, I want to do more drumming and I want to play in Stave's Acre. They were starting Stave's Acre at the time. So 
there's a song on Frail called Breeze, um, and it's very Stavesacre-esque. And then uh, Jeremy sang it great. And then Mark came in and actually sang a duet or a backup with Jeremy. And in post-production, it, it didn't make the cut. Or Jeremy cut it or something. Mm. But actually, I remember hearing it. And I was like, that sounds so good. And it was very precursor to Stavesacre. And I'm not tooting our horn. That's not what I mean. I just meant you knew it was going to be great when they said they were doing their own band of this slower style, heavy, drop-tuned music and of course jeff's like a phenomenal songwriter guitar player so that was easy um so basically jeremy left the band again and jim had three kids and they were uh his kids are all basically married now but at the time they were younger so he couldn't tour as much so i um part of the story that's missing is i had to tour with phil and drummers all the time so i was going <laughs> out and playing live, eventually Johnny Vasquez filled in for us. The drummer of Chasm filled in for us. I mean, we just had, you name it, on drums. Um, so I had a tour booked with Living Sacrifice. They were starting to do their, um, they were on the demos for Reborn at this point. Uh, it was like, I think, I want to say 99. Or not 99. It was, sorry, not that late. It was... 96 it was the spring of 96 maybe fall of 96 and uh 95 somewhere around that time frame it's a blur to me uh they had uh that bruce had done the first demos they had put some fun shirts out that were like don't call to come back you know they was really <laughs> promoted as like uh, it was really promoted like uh you know man we really are going after that unashamed vibe vocally and stuff like that and then, uh, what do you call it? Um, we went on tour with them in Circle of Dust. Uh, not exactly with them. Like, we had dates with both bands. I'm, I'm saying it wrong. Like, okay. we were doing a tour, and LS was on a bunch of it, and some of the dates were with, like, two or three with Circle of Dust, maybe, or something. And Jim couldn't go. The Chasm drummer at the last minute couldn't go. I'm literally, like, the day before the tour, and I don't even have a drummer. Jeremy says he's not going to go, and he's going to start doing... Um, Staves Acre, and then at that point, Gary Otasi was our bass player, and me and Gary were really close. Uh, and he was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I've got my wife's gonna kill me if I don't pay the bills. So I was just kind of like, we we did that tour, and it sucked. We played horrible every night. I think the first two shows we showed up at and couldn't even make it through the set. Oh man, and and then, um, 
they and then eventually we, we the interesting thing was we hooked up with ls for the chunk of the tour we come out and fudge our way through a bunch of the three chord punk stuff and maybe you know because even frail as much as got the thrashy stuff it has some punk songs on it so i could get through that with a decent drummer and the kid playing for us was great he's a kid from my church by the way and he was um his dad ran like a latin church he played like latin percussion he was a phenomenal jazz drummer and uh, and he uh but he just didn't understand the thrash thing so we, you know you just have to learn to restructure your set around your drummer if that makes sense as I've played mm-hmm. with a million drummers, you just go, "Ooh, I can't play with that song with that drummer because I don't. We don't. We're not speaking the same thing." So, we had structured our set. Whatever we played some shows with LS and um, Jason Truby and Lance would come out and do two songs with us live from the Frail stuff, and that was like a big deal. Everyone would light up. Jason would actually sing, and um, and Lance would play drums, and and Gary and I would play guitar and bass. So that was. Um, that really helped us on that tour a lot. The shows we had with them, at least we could do two songs really good. Um, so I got home from that tour and I was like, I just don't want to do this. If you guys can't do it, I don't want to do it anymore. At that point, uh, I had done a couple of feeling shows with six feet deep. And so I think mm-hmm. I had finally, I had officially announced like, we're going to take a break. We're just going to be done for a bit. And, um, and at that point, you know, um, crash dog had said if i wanted to play with him i could and my hippie parents were like if you move to a christian commune we will kill you um so i didn't do that which i eventually did move there but um and i i joined six feet deep but even that i kind of was just a fill-in so and they were in the midst of their starting for their next record so like i flew out to cleveland and played a couple shows with them and then started learning songs for the new record. I eventually went back out and played songs on the record, uh, wrote some parts for the record and, uh, toured with them for that season. Uh, their bass player, Matt, um, he was going through some personal stuff at, at home, him and the guitar player both were. So at one point clank was playing guitar and I was playing bass for the band and then Matt Traxler was on guitar, Mike was singing, and Tom was on drums. And we went out with Crash Dog that year. And they We had a tour booked. Um, on that tour, Tom had booked it as six feet. Tom would book six feet deep, the drummer. He was like the business manager. And Tom and I were like best buds. He's, again, one of those people like my friend Stro. He's just the funniest guy to hang out with. Uh, he was like the married guy with a kid in the band. So, you know, he had like a leash on him. So he was just, when it was guy time, it was great when we go out and play. Um, so, uh, I really connected with Tom a lot and, um, I was filling in for these guys. Eventually clank was, but we did a tour. Tom had booked a tour that was six feet deep, the blamed and crash dog. Um, in and out of all this, I had started left out my other punk band. Um, Mm -hmm to be a side project to the frail lineup. Like I want to just do some punk rock songs cause frail is going way more metal and, and whatever. Uh, so I said to Tom, well, I obviously can't do the blame, but I could do left out and we'll play blame songs. And he was like, sure. Who's your lineup going to be? And I was like, well, why don't you just book it? I'll, uh, my friend Jake Landrow was also the co-creator of left out with me. And I said, I'll bring Jake with us. 
and why don't you play drums? And I know Greg knows how to play these. Greg's a Crash Dog drummer. You'll play these songs. Greg from Crash Dog will play these songs, and we'll just put together a show. And I knew Mike loved uh, Mike Porter loved playing guitar, so I was like, why don't I play bass and why doesn't Mike play guitar? And I think Mike did it on that tour. He, I know he did the first Left Out record with me, but uh, yeah. So that's we just went on that tour and played those songs and people loved it it went well and uh i played with six feet deep eventually that um the stuff that the guitarist and bass player were going through kind of ended they're ready to come back in the band and it was uh my life was kind of a mess at that point anyways in cleveland and so uh when mike had told me they were going to play some shows with them and maybe they were going to come back into the fold i just wanted i was like i'm cool and I was, I just took a step back, but not even being that humble. It was just never my gig. It was, I was the feeling guy. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to shows and those guys would all come out in their basketball jerseys and be the tough guys. And I was like the kid with the bleached hair, you know, <laughs> shoved in a baseball cap. <laughs> so, so I hope that answers your question. Um, okay. Oh, for yeah. the blame transition of members, but that's where that started. And then eventually, okay. uh, eventually, all that stuff. Uh, I did another left out record. Uh, things within my own personal life were still out of control, and eventually, I end up at Jesus People. And uh, when I'm at Jesus People, I met some guys, and they were like, "Let's do the Blamed." And at that point, Gary from the Blamed and I would loosely stay in touch long distance. And he had just chosen a different path in life, and I felt closure that he didn't care if I did another record without him because we were really close and so we did the again record and at that point on the timeline it was i believe 98 yeah and that was a whole new lineup with me and jim it was me jim and uh two guys i knew from the community jeff who still plays with the blamed and uh john hansen he went on to play in um i can't remember the name of this punk band from jesus people that anti something system or whatever uh, but then eventually, if you wanted me to keep going, uh, I was still playing in Left Out and the Blamed, and uh, just we were touring too much. I was married eventually through a girl I met at the community, and uh, I was touring with Left Out. I was touring with the Blamed. They had really become two different entities. I was having the same problem with that. Like Left Out had done a record with Greg from Crash Dog. And Brent, my friend from California, who had become the the, the left out bass player, and I was going to do left out tours, and neither of those guys were on the tours. I'm having to get a whole new lineup. The Blamed was doing really well. Matt Sweeta had jumped in, had a little bit of transition with the Jesus People members. So Matt Sweeta, uh, he started singing on the Forever record, and uh, he really took the reins of the band, and he's got such a gift for that kind of stuff. He's a Mm-hmm. talented singer songwriter he's a uh super creative guitar player so matt coming into the fold um uh, was like a, a blessing in so many ways um the left out thing eventually we just merged the two bands i think we met with the pastors of jesus people and they were like you guys should just do one band and we sat in a room and had a meeting and i think we cast votes at that point i think jim maybe even said he was going to step down to pursue playing in face down his hardcore band that had signed to uh, rescue records, the POD guys label. And uh, yeah. 
and then um greg the crash dog drummer was moving to michigan and brent's wife was like if you don't stop missing work for shows i'm gonna kill you and so we had just done a tour it was um left out the smiley kids and goatee hook and then i came home from that and i had to fly to europe with the blame jim couldn't go so we played with lance uh every night lance would fill in for jim a lot at this point on drums i think they were having some in-between phases with the truby brothers uh transition to the hammering process and then um so um yeah just we met with the pastors and they're like why don't you just merge into one band so we sat down. I th- we all drew names. I was the only one that drew left out, and they all picked the blamed. And I was really trying to do the, like, this isn't the Brian Gray show. So I just said, cool, I guess we'll be the blamed. And and that was when we started doing the more post-hardcore stuff. you uh back to tooth and nail forgive us barabbas um they wanted the isolated incident record they they heard that album and they asked about putting it out and it was a tough thing because you know i'm I'm living in community i'm trying to be submitted to my pastors or whatever and we're like dude they want to put this out we should do it and just gur records at that point was hanging on by a thread to this christian diamani distribution and um so i think they were um they're really hoping that um that that was gonna work out but it was really just it couldn't you were at a season i want to say like 98 when i put out our again record even you're in the season of like that was the eve of like the solid state culture and like Brandon was putting out records that were just dominating the industry. It wasn't even just the Christian scene. Like Reborn came out and there was nothing to me like that anywhere where blood and fire came out and there was nothing like that anywhere. So the blame put out our again record and it was nothing like those good records. Brandon put out Brandon was taking over the scene. We couldn't keep up. Gurdon standard snowball chance in hell of, of surviving that culture. So, Christian bookstores were dying. Christian music was dying, whatever, at that point. Um, so they had hit us up for isolated incident. We met with them and said, we should put it out on Tooth and & Nail. And they said, no, but why don't you guys do your next record on Tooth and & Nail? So we signed with Tooth and & Nail and put out uh, Give Us Barabbas. <laughs>
so you guys are back uh, in in the capacity of, of putting out this new album you just had the Kickstarter for. You put out the Split EP with your other project, the Satire, mm-hmm. last year. What's what's keeping you going? Um, I don't know. I wish I could say cocaine, but I'm I've always been straight edge, so it's not true. Um, <laughs> I do like to tell everyone that I gave up coke for Lent because uh, it's easy. I don't do it. Uh, let me see here how to answer that question. So, like, we kind of have this rule with the blame culture. You fast forward. We did a reunion show at Audio Feed. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of mine, um, uh, Stephen Garner. Young, this is how I know him on Facebook. I think he pronounces it Stefan, but I always feel dumb when I say it. Um, he really pushed for us to play at at a, at Audio Feed a few years back. And he's a big part of that 90s Christian recovery group or something like that, or 90s Christian music or something, these Facebook groups I'm kind of on. And yeah. so they booked us, and we played. And I just kind of have a rule with Jim at this point in my life. Um, Jim and I are like... It, you know, it, all these pieces of the story that are missing, Jim and I are like family. We always have been. So if Jim says we're going to do something, then we do it. That's just how I view life. Like, Audio Feed contacted us. I put it out to Jim. He wanted to do it. Okay, let's do it. So we um, we played Audio Feed. There was a little bit of a buzz. I got the October Bird of Death singer to sing the show. He got everyone pretty hyped up on let's just do a full record this has a good vibe it didn't work out with him as a singer and we finished the record and uh or are still finishing i think i have like one song left to sing and 90 percent of it mixed um so yeah that's just kind of where that went the satire i've never stopped doing since the end of the blame it's actually a project that's been probably a decade in the making and I just kind of always had flaky band members, and it didn't work. And I shouldn't say it all the way like that, because I had also some of these core band members that were amazing. Uh, we put out a demo, uh, originally went down and recorded uh, with one of the guys from Trenches, and like that's available online. And we just have been trying to finish that record for literally 10-plus years. And uh, I got connected with Trevor from Philly, the old host of uh, as the story glows and he uh uh i just talked to him more and more about really about like his interviews but he kept talking about his drumming you know that guy will tell you he's the best <laughs> drummer ever if you let him well i think he used the force on me because i believed he was the best drummer ever uh no so i asked him if he'd play on the satire record and he said yes and to be honest i mean you're a drummer i think but i believe is what i've heard you say on the podcast right that is correct yeah yeah well so you you come from like uh from what i've gathered you really like a lot of the emo music right that that is also correct yes good i was like god please don't insult uh, (laughs) but (laughs) but so within that if i was doing a record of you know if i wanted to make like a real authentic like man i was loving i love the old mineral vibe and stuff like that you would want to find a drummer that speaks the language so you know if you're yeah. making like a, a super group or a, a band of that you would probably be someone i would be like i should talk to brian Patton because he speaks the language he understands this kind of music and that was trevor from philly um 
Travis just really came in when I started messaging. I'm like, dude, I want to do this record and I would love for you to play drums on it. And he was like, heck yeah. And he just, he spoke the language. So everything from his end of life was, uh, was him saying, you know, he loved bands I'd never even heard of. Like he turns me on to new music all the time. So when he was asking what my influences were, it was Converge, Dillinger Escape Plan, uh, Coalesce, you know, the big hitters, Norma Jean, the Chariot, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Living Sacrifice. And then he was getting into even more stuff that I had never heard. So he was just a great fit. He also comes from some of that cool, like, roadside monument type drumming so when he brings these flavors to the satire record it's pretty rad yeah so i uh, but i guess answering your question is i've just been trying to finish that record for a while and it's about same thing like 75 percent done and i haven't worked on the satire record because we did an indiegogo for the blamed it went well and i'm just trying to finish the last touch-ups on that record and get it into people's hands over the next probably couple months Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never thought